Yeah, amen. I heard that. Um, did, did you know that when I said good morning to the eight o'clock service, um, and I told them that I was proud of them because they had gotten up so early, you know, the days are still getting shorter as we go to December 21. And, uh, you know, they weathered the fog and all that, that they broke out into spontaneous applause for themselves. Did you know that? Yeah, like the audacity. Um, but, but, but they were proud of themselves and I was proud of them, you know, way to get up early. Um, but now as I'm, as I'm coming for us, uh, I, I'm trying to think of, you know, what, what can we clap for ourselves for? And it occurs to me that there are folks, I think it's this service that gets uh, recorded live. Is that right? That, that we're kind of street, yeah, with the thumbs up. And so I'm kind of looking at these cameras back here and I don't know which one I'm even on. Uh, maybe all of them, I guess. But would there be a way for us to clap in the sanctuary right now to let the folks know who are watching from home that we recognize that they're with us and that we're glad about that. So let's go ahead and do that. For real. Yeah, because, because we do, you know, we, respect, we, we understand uh, that you are making wise decisions for yourselves and, uh, and um, that the Lord is going to honor that and uh, he wants to keep you safe. And um, we're just glad that you're with us. So thank you for joining us if you're at home. Um, all right, so we're looking at Luke chapter two this morning. We're gonna be looking at a number of players or characters in that narrative, uh, starting with Joseph and Mary. We're gonna look at uh, an older man, probably by the name of Simeon, and an older woman, definitely, by the name of Anna. Uh, these four people are going to come into the narrative. And it just occurs to me as we're starting out today that you know, different texts of scripture um, can and perhaps ought to be delivered in different ways. That uh, some texts in scripture, uh, it's a little bit easier to take principles from them and to give those uh, as application points and so forth. In other texts, like the text we're gonna be looking at today, what can also be so helpful is to go ahead and just kind of paint a portrait, paint a picture of these different men and women and see who it is that they are who God has made them as he has brought them to this point in their own histories, and then kind of what we might even expect from them as they went from this occasion in the text we're about to read. So, you know, we, we, we have these people and we wanna go ahead and look at them. If you're the kind of person who appreciates kind of the, the technical, um, you, you'll see there if you have your notes uh, in front of you, a little outline, um, the title, and I believe it went something like this. At last, salvation for everyone. Dot, dot, dot. That's called an, ellip an ellipsis. And then there's the capital uh, I, capital F, if. And that if is important because we want you to know at this church that we are not universalists. We do not believe at this church that everyone somehow someday is gonna find themselves uh, in heaven. We do not believe that at this church. When we read the Bible, we know that that is not true. There are two destinations, not one. We're gonna get into that a little bit later on in the text. 
but that we want to keep that in mind. At last, salvation, and we can welcome that for everyone, potentially for everyone. And so let's keep that in mind as we step into the sermon and that that can be a title. It can also be your, technically speaking, it can be your propositional statement if that will help, okay? So I wanted to start and let you know that it was about six months ago. You, perhaps you know this already, but I, I'd had an opportunity to uh, swear in with the mayor of Harrisburg uh, to become a chaplain, volunteer chaplain for the city of Harrisburg Police Department. And as part of, um, I, I wouldn't say my responsibilities, it's just such a life-giving thing for me, but every Friday night, full shift, I get to do a ride-along. Eight hours, ride-along, every Friday night. And getting to know the members of 3rd Platoon in that police department, and it has just been awesome to get to know the men and women who serve in that platoon. Um, and I'll tell you this, not only does it put me in the car with the cops, and so I'm getting to know them, but it puts me on the streets and in the homes of the citizens of Harrisburg, which has just been eye-opening and wonderful. And the Lord has really stoked in me a heart for these people. Mostly I'm talking uh, Allison Hill, Uptown, you know, those sorts of uh, a little bit more impoverished neighborhoods, but it has just been wonderful to see the Holy Spirit show up in ways that are so powerful that bring peace, stability, hope, in some very intense um, situations um, where, where there had not been hope before. And so to watch that occur, uh, and, and even to see, uh, we're, we're seeing officers uh, turn to Christ and, and give their lives to Christ. It has been awesome. So, um, so we're seeing that, and I was going to tell you a story uh, of something that happened just last week in my life. So I'm with my officer, and we're on the road, and somewhere in the city of Harrisburg, a young woman calls, uh, and she says, um, you know, having called 911, um, my boyfriend has just beat me up and he tried to kill me and he's crazy and he just got in his car and he tore out of here and you need to find him because he's dangerous. And so we start to look for this guy and we find him pretty quick. Um, but now let me set this stage for you. This is Friday afternoon. It's already dark it's raining and it's rush hour and this guy is driving like a madman with no headlights on. And he's driving a dark sedan with no headlights. So now we're trying to find him. We find him pretty quick, but we're trying to not you know, corral him too quickly because we don't want to cause an accident where someone's going to get hurt. Eventually, the guy goes ahead and he runs a red light uh, somewhere in the city. And so at that point, it was uh, kind of a calling all cars thing. I mean, by the time we ended up on scene uh, and, and the conclusion of the story, we must have had Steel Tents with Tara, Susquehanna, Capitol Police, State Police, everyone was there for this guy. But what's happening 
before that is I'm sitting there with my officer and we're kind of on a side street off of 6th Avenue maybe. Uh, and I look over and I see this mini mart and a mom walks out with a baby. And she takes the baby and she puts the baby in the stroller and she starts to jaywalk right across where this guy's gonna come blowing through. And I'm just like, Father, Father, save this, this woman and this child. They made it across the street and then this guy comes blowing through. We start to chase this guy. And you know, there's cops everywhere. They're shutting down intersections, lights, sirens, just even the noise of the Ford Explorer, you know, you know, you know, coming into sirens going not only outside, but off the radio. You know, you hear all the sirens on the radio. Someone, uh, one of the officers calls in permission to pit. That, that means that if I get a shot at this guy and can swipe his bumper, I can kind of spin him out and if it's safe to do so. And uh, I still remember the, uh, the supervisor saying, uh, not granted, you are not permitted to pit. Um, and, and so uh, we keep chasing. At one point, me and my officer are right behind this guy. And he starts hopping curbs, he's taking out signs, he's cutting corners through laundromats. And I'm just praying, Lord, protect the people of Harrisburg. Okay, finally we get down, we're going down whatever street it was. It was a little bit darker. We were the third car in line. Um, and this guy comes blazing right back up past us. No lights on. And so then we've gotta be careful, you know, as we're doing our K turn that we don't get T-bone because I'm on the T-bone side and I'm gonna get, you know, smashed by the next police car coming up the road following this guy. We go about 100 yards up the road and all of a sudden, there's so many police, there must have been at least 20 police cars there. Um, this guy hooks a right real quick and, and, and he kind of tries to hide up behind this uh, uh, row of row homes there. And I can't see him. My cop hits the brakes and right as he hits the brakes, I hear over the radio, he's got a gun, he's got a gun, he's got a gun. And I'm like, I, I don't have a gun. You know, we're, we, we, we don't travel, here, here's a little piece for you. We, we do not travel with our seatbelts on because you have to be able to get out without getting tangled up. You have to be able to get out in a hurry. And so we unload and I'm just seeing this, this fence that's just kind of right there and it's about a six foot tall fence. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm just gonna wait by that fence and let them do their thing. And uh, they were able to apprehend him and everyone was safe. Uh, including him, and so it was a good end to that story. But why am I telling you this story? Here was the critical ingredient that I didn't tell you in the story, was that I was not driving the police car. I had to be in the passenger seat, and if you know me, you know that any vehicle I'm ever in, I have to be behind the wheel. Okay, and I wasn't, which meant that I had no control over what was happening. And as I'm standing next to that fence, and still, you know, not all the police had turned their sirens off yet, and so it's just loud, the noise. You know, I'm still kind of hearing some things on the radio because the doors are all open on the cars. And I'm thinking to myself, this is like a microcosm of how I felt for maybe the last six to eight months in my life, that there is so much coming my way, 
I don't know what's coming next. And all of it is outside my control. And that maybe you have felt that way. And whether or not you have felt that way, I know I've felt that way. And I strongly, strongly believe that Joseph felt that way. And Mary was right there with him. And so that's how we're going to kind of jump into the text. So we're looking at Luke. It's gonna be up on the screen as well. And we're looking at Luke. Again, this is chapter two, starting in verse 22. Almost. Because what had gone before in Joseph's life and in Mary's life, the visitation of the angels there in Nazareth, you know, possible stigma attached to them because they were not yet married the way that they needed to be in order to expect Jesus to be born. And then he's got to hit the road and you know, don't necessarily believe the Christmas cards that you see where they're you know, out on the ridge line and there's this starry sky with the star out in the distance, you know, and there they are. And you know, he's just kind of quietly leading along the donkey and she's perched upon it. Don't necessarily believe that. You know, where they're brigands, where they're highwaymen. You know, that's a long stretch and it's mountainous to be able to get out of Nazareth to work your way across the Valley of Jezreel. I don't know if they cut through Samaria, if they came down all the way past Mount Gilboa. I don't know how they got there, but it was arduous. And the woman is eight and a half months pregnant. And so they've got to make their way. There's no room in the inn. They go to the manger, which was most likely a cave there are animals that are being you know, housed there. Imagine the stench, you know, if it hadn't been mucked out recently. Smoke from the fire. I mean, imagine that setting to have to give birth. She gives birth, but it's not over. Eventually, she's got to kind of hoof it six miles with him up the road, carrying the baby uphill into Jerusalem. And that's where it comes here, where we arrive in our text. But even after that, it's not gonna be over. They're gonna make their way back to Bethlehem. Eventually the wise men are going to show up. Herod's going to find out about it and he's going to feel threatened. And so he's going to say, hey, I want you to go back to Bethlehem. Every boy two years old and younger, kill. It's Advent, Advent. Every boy two years and younger, kill. And they did. And so Joseph, Mary, with Jesus, flee to Egypt. So his story isn't over. But we catch him kind of in the middle, I guess. Certainly at the front end as they rear Jesus in their home. Verse 22, and when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, just see that they were serious. Joseph and Mary were serious about the law of Moses, what we call the Old Testament. 
they, that is Joseph and Mary, brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. You know, do you know what a mourning dove is? It's kind of a country version of a pigeon. The, the, the mourning doves, I, I, I hate the mourning doves to, to come to my bird feeder because they just, they just camp out there and then they hog up all the seed from all the other birds. Two young pigeons. Do, do, do you see, let's call it the humility and the poverty that they couldn't bring much, but that didn't mean they weren't going to bring anything at all. They were going to bring what they could. Maybe something like the widow and her might that she gave, I think that's in Luke 21, should come to mind. They didn't have much, but they gave what they had because they were serious about what God's word said back in Exodus. And what God's word said back in Leviticus. And Mary, I know it's hard, but we're gonna do this. We're gonna do this together. God has called us to do this. And the humility that that took says in Matthew chapter five, verse three in the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall inherit the earth. I gotta believe that Joseph and Mary are well on their way poor in spirit, inheriting the earth, humble, faithful, truly pious, not false pious, not hypocritical, not just wanting a reputation of godliness, but quietly going about the business of the Bible because they loved God and were in a relationship with him. I love that. And keep reading here. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous. It says about Noah in Genesis six, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. That's Simeon. It's kind of like a New Testament version of Noah in that instance. He was committed to righteousness, this Simeon. He was committed to obedience, to doing the right thing, even when it was hard. In Psalm 15, four, David wrote, a man or a woman of integrity swears to his or her own hurt and does not change. That kind of integrity, that kind of commitment to right and wrong. So he's righteous, he's also devout. Simeon, this man was righteous and devout. Do you remember Job in Job chapter one? 
God actually brags about Job. Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one like him. In all the earth, he's blameless. And that one of the things that defined the blamelessness, the relative blamelessness of Job in that text was that he was so committed to his kids that it says that he would regular, it was his regular custom to go ahead and offer offerings, sacrifices on their behalf, just in case they had sinned in their hearts. There's a dad accounting for the just in case. He's not just accounting for something that was definitely committed, but accounting for something just in case. And just in case no one ever saw it, and just in case they didn't even realize it when they did it, I'm going to intercede for them. Even so, offer sacrifice. That's the kind of man that Simeon is. He's righteous and he's devout. It says here also that he's waiting. You see the faith that takes to wait. We're about to see what he's waiting for. But know this, that he's waiting by faith to know to know that God has made a promise and that he's going to keep the promise. That's what I'm waiting for is for God to keep the promise. And then finally, when it says, waiting for the consolation of Israel, that this was a man who loved the people he was among. Loved them. I want my brothers and sisters in this region, in this country, I, I, I want us to be comforted. And so I'm waiting for that by faith, consoled, comforted. It's going to be okay. Yeah. And then it goes on and says, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. That, by the way, is the best thing that could be said about him. We can go on and on about his character. And as he imitates the character of God, in the strength of God, amen. And the best thing about Simeon is that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So there's the promise. And he's waiting. He's waiting is what I would call kind of a, I mean, he's very mature in the faith almost kind of a, a Romans 4-like Christian, that even though he's about to hold the baby and Jesus has yet to do his work at the cross, that this man is living by faith in the way that Romans 4 describes, that he's placing his faith in Yahweh, that my salvation is not going to come by works, but that my salvation is going to come by faith. The just shall live by faith. And Simeon gets that, and that's where he places his faith. Verse 27, and he came in the spirit into the temple. That, that wasn't an accident. God had been at work all the days of Simeon's life, and I mean from eternity, to orchestrate these events perfectly in his blessed sovereignty. 
and he brings Simeon to the temple. Exactly, exactly at this time, at just the right time. And he came in the spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. He blessed God. You know, I, I love that. I love that because it doesn't say that he blessed Jesus, the baby. It says that he blessed God. That here was a man who understood who he was holding but that he was so in love with God, it was God who had kept his promise that he turns to God first. You've got all three members of the Trinity involved here in this narrative and he turns to the Father and he blesses God and this is what he says, Lord. I think because he loves the Lordship of Jesus, Lord, now. Highlight that word now in your Bible if you are used to doing that and like to do that because that word now just communicates at last, at last, finally. And it's not just because I've been waiting for a long time, it's because we, Israel, the world, been waiting forever. I mean, since Adam and Eve, until now, and finally, finally, Lord, now, at last, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And can you imagine the joy, just the joy? Pastor Tim, uh, you know, I, I had mentioned a painting that I had seen years ago um, when, when I had walked through the Billy Graham Center Museum at Wheaton College and you, you, you hooked a left and there was this big mural all along the wall there, I still remember it. And, uh, and it was a picture of Simeon and he's holding uh, the baby. And I think we've got that. Can, can we go ahead and, and put that one up? Uh, we did last service, I know, yeah. Check that out. I mean, you know. You know what what that must have been like. You know, his mouth is open, almost like he, he's crying and he's just so thankful. He can't contain him, it's like a shout. You can see the world kind of blended in the background. Do you see that? And I have to tell you that in the, in the picture that I remember from, from Wheaton College, 
that it actually, I don't think it's this picture. It's another picture that is very similar to this one, but it has a tear coming down Simeon's face. And if you look closely in the tear, you see the world is in the tear. Just the joy. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, making this available to everyone, all peoples, without discrimination, potential, making it available to everyone. A light, revelation coming our way as Gentiles. That means that the light of Christ is going to light him up so that we can understand him for who he is and respond. And glory to Israel. You know, sometimes, you know, my, my, my experience at least uh, within the evangelical church here in America is that favor toward Israel kind of ebbs and flows and some of it maybe depends on the local church and so forth. Folks, go back and read Romans 9 verses 1 to 5 or even Romans 9 chapters, you know, 9 to 11. There is a place for Israel. God is sending glory their way. And I'm thankful for that. I keep going here. Verse 33, and his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. It's good to know they're normal. I mean, I feel like I marvel. It's good to know that as mom and dad, they didn't feel like they were above it, but that they were able to marvel even about a child. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for some things. This child is appointed for some things. This child is appointed almost like drawing a line in the sand. This child is appointed to be a cornerstone. This child is appointed to be a stumbling block. This child is appointed to be some things that might rub us the wrong way. This child is appointed to be a man who is going to determine forever salvation or the lack thereof. This child is appointed for the fall and rising of many, different destinations, heaven, hell, and implications like divided households Jesus said that he came to bring peace. And Jesus said, don't think that I came to bring peace. Mother against daughter, father against son. The fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, opposition can be expected from the, by, by the, by the Christ follower, opposition. 
goes on and a sword and parenthetical statement and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Even Mary, even mom isn't exempt. She's gonna feel it. She's gonna feel it. I mean, doesn't your heart go out to Mary? I mean, from like the first moment, this dear girl and Gabriel shows up and speaks to her and her attitude is just, may it be to me as you've said. Oh, you want to take that girl and just, you know, like make a new bedroom for her upstairs and just, you know, keep her safe or something. I, all the way to the crucifixion when she watched while Jesus hung. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Many hearts, eventually all hearts, revealed. You know, a word of encouragement. And obscure text from Old Testament, this is Second Chronicles 16.9 in the King James. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose hearts are perfect toward him. Now, that word perfect, not used in the way that we might use that today. You know, it's a more of a relative thing that has to do with wholehearted devotion unto the Lord. But the Lord looks for the heart. He didn't just do that for David. He does that for all of us. He looks for the heart. And for the heart that wants him, he looks to be strong on its behalf. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Don't you want to see God? So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. Don't know much about Phanuel. And the tribe of Asher, pretty, um, kind of gets lost among some of the other tribes. Judah, Benjamin, you know, Ephraim, and some of the other stronger, more well-known tribes. But maybe that's the point. Maybe this is a woman meant to represent in some way, at one level at least, women. And that she is ordinary in such a sweet way. And you're gonna see an extraordinary character in her as she comes from a place that maybe not many people had heard of or from a lineage that maybe not many people had heard of. And there was a prophetess that is a messenger Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. So just take from that that she's old. She's been at it a long time, and that she forsook remarriage in order to worship God. Interesting. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So she's full of worship. Do you see how much Simeon and Anna just love God? They're so swept up in their love for God. 
And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That's the if. That's the if right there. That you have these two people, Anna and Simeon, who are already walking with God. You have a salvation that is being offered in Christ. And this exclamation, I have seen your salvation. Recognition of who Jesus is and what he's going to bring. But that they're already in love. Anna's already worshiping. Now she's turning to him and giving thanks. So that the question for us is, are we turning and giving thanks? Because it's only salvation for you if you turn, cry out, give thanks. I'm a sinner. I need you. I need your grace. I can't save myself, but you can save me, Jesus. Simeon wasn't holding me in his arms. He was holding you in his arms when he said, I've seen salvation. Do we give thanks? I'm closing with this thing that I found. This was in National Geographic of all places in the June edition of this year. This is a woman, a dear woman, who is a Holocaust survivor. It's just one paragraph I'm gonna read you. Her name is Janine Burke. When Janine Burke was three years old, her father took her on a streetcar across Brussels. That's in Europe, in Belgium. He rang a stranger's doorbell, kissed his daughter goodbye, and left her with the woman who answered. Like, hold it, you, you, you may end up crying here. He would be arrested by the Gestapo in a roundup of Jewish citizens and later died in a gas chamber at Auschwitz. From 1942 to 1944, Burke remained hidden in the home of the Christian woman. She had food and shelter, but little else. When Nazis paraded nearby, her helper ordered her to the outhouse. Burke would peek out through a gap between the boards, then retreat into the darkest corner. You talk about a vivid picture. Do you see a four-year-old girl peeking out of the slats in an outhouse and then having to maybe go down and hide behind the toilet? In 1944, British soldiers arrived. Soon after, her mother, back from hiding in the countryside, came for her. Burke never saw her helper again. And then she is quoted as saying this, Janine Burke, I am 80 years old and I still cry. I never had a chance to say thank you. We have a chance to say thank you. Anna said thank you. Why don't we pray and say thank you? Father, we want to thank you but we wanna do so much more than just say thanks. 
We want to acknowledge who Jesus is. We want to acknowledge what he's done. We want to acknowledge that there was a day when he came to you and said, here I am, a body you have prepared for me. I have come to do your will. And you sent him and he was faithful to perform your will every day of his life, every day he walked the planet and always. And so Father, we want to thank you for him, for what he's done. Give us hearts of gratitude. Lead us to turn. In Jesus' name, amen.